How many of you would say that you have a good reputation? How many of you would say that maybe you don't have a good reputation, but it's at least better than the person you're sitting next to? Yeah, a few, few more hands. Um, I made a, a gamble this last week, and I asked the Facebook community uh, if they could pick four words to describe me, what four words would it be? And I was surprised no one said godlike physique. I was surprised that didn't come up, but um, skinny came up a lot. Um, the one that showed up the, word, the, the most was the word funny, surprise, surprise. Uh, the most unexpected answer, four words, packs a powerful punch. Uh, this was from a childhood friend that I gave my first black eye to. I forgot all about that story, but he hasn't. Um, one person said candy corn, speaking of black eyes. Um, one said pimp bone, my teenage nickname. I don't know why that had to be brought up. And then my mom cheated and put four list of four. You have to love moms. Uh, but my favorite answer was Christ-like, though I don't feel like I deserve that one. The reason I asked for four words is that my wife didn't compliment me enough this week, so thank you, Facebook, for feeding my ego. Uh, that's all that was about. Now, the real reason is that we've been in a series on the life of Job, and Job is described by four words. Uh, this same list appears three different times in this short book. So Job chapter 1, verse 1 is the first time we encounter these four words, so if you could stand up, let's read this together. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. You may be seated. He was blameless. He was upright. He feared God and he fought evil or shunned evil. This same list repeated three different times. What an incredible reputation to have. He was blameless. He was upright. He feared God and he fought evil, which spells the word buff. Job was spiritually buff. When someone who is buff walks into the room, it grabs people's attention. I know from walking into the room with Pastor Jason. Now, I'm not talking about the one who goes to the gym once, is built like Pee Wee Herman, but insists on flaring their arms out. You know the type. It's Job's spiritual strength that is impressive. You see, God is always more impressed by character than competence. You know, the things that we put on the magazine covers don't usually grab God's attention the way that a heart does. God's not impressed by Job's net worth or network, but by Job's rich spirituality. In an age where people treat God like Christmas fruitcake, we can't imagine Christmas without it, but no one really enjoys it. In the same way, we can't imagine life without God, but we don't always enjoy him or cherish him. God is impressed by those who truly put him first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Job is the greatest on the east side because his eyes were always on the God of the north side. I began to wonder what four words God would use to describe me. Does God see me as blameless, upright, that I fear God and I fight evil? When my name comes up in heaven, do people celebrate or cringe? It's an interesting thought to ponder that you are just talked about in heaven and how are you discussed? Spiritually, I often feel like the before picture in the muscle magazines. In fact, I look at that guy and think, man, if I was only as buff as the before guy. I thought that after 23 years as a Christian, I would be further along. I didn't expect to be sinless, but I did expect to sin less. And becoming a pastor doesn't fix everything. 
It doesn't make it easier. In fact, some people think, you know, if only I were a pastor, then I could read the Bible all the time. And it doesn't work that way. It just means that you have to write sermons that make you feel guilty before you share it with everyone else that makes them feel guilty. See, I'm intimidated when I read that Job was blameless. He was upright. He feared God. And he fought evil. But we need to keep in mind that Job wasn't Jesus. He wasn't flawless. In fact, he will say in Job chapter 13, verse 26, For you write down bitter things against me and make me reap the sins of my youth. Job knows that he has been a work in progress. He was once a hormonal teenager. He was once a 20-year-old trying to figure out his place in this world. He was not always the spiritual senior citizen that we find him in when we bump into him in this book. I have to remind myself it's not about perfection, but about direction. It's not about perfection, it's about direction. I have a friend who was at a wedding recently. He skipped lunch and was famished, so he grabbed some quick snacks from the wedding party's private stash, just the healthy stuff like chips and gummy bears. A few minutes later, he starts feeling funny, like everything's funny, and he starts feeling snacky. Then he overheard someone say that the gummy bears were laced with THC or marijuana. Now, I've heard of brownies, but not gummy bears. Is nothing sacred anymore? Now, if you eat them, you are only supposed to have one. He had three. He was tore up from the floor up. Now, even though he didn't choose to get high, there was still that twinge of guilt and shame. He says, I'm a godly person. I don't do that. I haven't been high in 10 years. I don't have cancer or glaucoma. It feels like such a huge step backwards. See, it's important to remember that in our walk with God, it's not about perfection, it's about direction. You discover in AA and 12 Steps that in the road to recovery, that there are moments of relapse. But you also discover that failure isn't final. In the moment of failure, you have to decide, am I going to give up or grow up? Am I going to spiral downwards and say, well, I gave in, so I might as well just keep giving in? Or am I going to keep going to the meetings? Call my sponsor. Keep saying no. I once put a spiritual maturity chart up on the board, list one through ten, one being Jesus' twin, ten being Satan's BFFF, best friends fried forever. What matters most is not where you're at on that chart today, but what direction are you headed? Are you a five headed towards a six or a five headed towards a four? So it doesn't matter if you're a five heading towards a four. It matters if you're a five headed towards a six. What direction are you headed towards? Job spent his life pointed towards 10. Not that he was 10, but pointed towards 10. That's why when we meet him in this story, he's spiritually buff, blameless, upright. He fears God and fights evil, which is why he's ready to handle this cosmic test. This is why it's so important to recognize. God's not just picking a novice. He's picking someone who is ready for this. Job chapter 1, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Then he calls this Job's first test. Now we don't know how old Job is at this point. His friend Elihu says in Job 33, 6, I am young in years, but you are old. Thank you, Elihu. 
Now, is this like when my kids assume that I'm old just because I like to take naps and my eyebrows are going north and south rather than east and west? Old is relative, especially when those relatives are insensitive kids. But the reason why I bring this up and the reason why his age and experience are important is that most teachers don't give a test the first day of class. God doesn't give Job this graduate-level exam while he's still a preschooler spiritually. Job doesn't walk down the altar and say yes to God for the first time and then walk out the door and bump into Satan, evil incarnate. Job has spent a lifetime preparing for this moment without realizing it. He has sharpened his number two pencil every time he said no to temptation. Every time he put God first. Every time he showed mercy rather than justice. Every time he pursued holiness rather than happiness. See, unlike a teacher who gives a test, no matter if the students are ready or not, anyone been there? God gives us the test because he knows that Job is ready. Now, if Job was asked ahead of time, Job, do you feel ready for this? He would have said, no way, Yahweh. You're welcome. But God knows us better than we know ourselves. A test is God's sign of confidence. Say, what? A test is God's sign of confidence. Talk about redefining the favor of the Lord. Everyone say, favor of the Lord. How many of you have ever heard of favor of the Lord? We're going to redefine that a little bit this morning. My son Caleb wanted to buy some volunteers Starbucks. He was impressed by how hard they had been working that week. And so he bought it out of his own hard-earned money. And it was like $30, which I think is like two drinks at Starbucks. And, um, but surprisingly, he hands them the money and they said, you know what? We're only going to charge you 18 you know, they, they cut the cost and they hook him up. And isn't that like God? You know, you try to do something great for someone else and God like gives back to you. And we'd say, that was the favor of the Lord. When we think about God's favor, we think about God's provision and protection. When we first meet Job, he's called the greatest man in the East. And there's this long list of how rich he is. He's so wealthy, banks could go to him for a loan. He has the Midas touch. How many of you would like to have that part of Job's story? Not the rest, but just chapter one. I have a friend who used to get annoyed every time we would go out. We would grab coffee and I would get mine for free and then they'd mess his drink order up. Or we would go to a charity and I would win the door prize and he would not win anything. Or I would go out of town and I'd get one of those magic checks just before I left which would cover like gas and expenses and stuff like that. He'd go out of town and something would fall apart at his house. One day he told me, first of all, I hate you. Second, God sure likes you. You see, we assume that when good things happen to us, God likes us. But when bad things happen to us, God doesn't like us. You ever played that game? He likes me, he likes me not. He likes me, he likes me not. But it's because of God's favor that Job loses everything. Now I'm gonna say that again because it's so controversial. It's because of God's favor Job loses everything. It's not like Job lost God's favor when he lost his finances, friends, and fitness. God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless and upright. He fears God and shuns evil. God singles Job out because of how impressed he is with him, which makes me kind of want to be second place spiritually. 
Like, I want to do really good, but always have a couple people ahead of me. They can take Satan on, and I'll just step back a little bit. But Job's suffering is favor. In fact, we might call it the shadow side of favor. Think about the billions of lives Job's story has inspired. His influence is increased because of his loss. We wouldn't be talking about him this morning if he would have remained just a local celebrity, just the greatest in the East. If he would have died unscathed by Satan's schemes, he would have been lost to history, never to be heard of. He earns a sacred spot in scripture because of his series of unfortunate events. See, we should be slow to throw around who has the favor of the Lord and who does not. Sometimes favor comes disguised as failure, setback, hardship, and letdowns that don't let up. How many of you want the favor of the Lord this morning? (laughs) Yes! (laughs) But let me explain further. You see, we think favor is being front row parking, but maybe, maybe it's parking in the back because we need the exercise. And perhaps someone else getting that front spot is an opportunity for you to serve. We think of favor as having the six-pack abs, but maybe a little jiggle when you wiggle is keeping you from an affair, and that's favor. (laughs) The dictionary defines favor as, first, approval, support, a liking for someone or something. The second definition, an act of kindness beyond what is due or usual. Now, we typically think of favor of the Lord as the second part, kindness beyond what is due or usual. But the definition that matters most is the first part, support or liking for someone or something. Job never loses God's approval, support, or liking. Before Jesus goes into the desert to be tested by Satan, God says, and I quote, this is my son, In him I love, in him I am what? Well pleased. And then he goes and gets tested for 40 days and 40 nights. It's easy to assume that a season of testing means that God doesn't love you and he's not pleased with you, that this is somehow a spiritual spanking. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's the opposite. It's actually because God does love you and he does favor you. You see, when I'm in a season of testing, I want Jesus to come out with suspenders and a shotgun and tell the spiritual stray dog the devil to get off his property, to hear the gun cock and to watch the mangy mutt run off whimpering. I want to feel protected and cherished. Like a little child, I want to peer from behind his legs, proud that my dad would never let anything bad happen to me and to boldly whisper, you better run. But sometimes the most loving thing God can do is have me face the hounds of hell. But it never feels that way in the moment, does it? You see, Job doesn't see his season of testing as a season of blessing. We have to keep in mind that Job didn't get to hear the conversation between God and Satan. We hear that. He does not. He doesn't know that this is because of how proud God is of him. Job will say things that are uncomfortable and even cringeworthy. And last week we talked a lot about the importance of lamenting. But Job will say things like, God mocks the despair of the innocent. Does it please you to oppress me? To spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the schemes of the wicked? Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Know that God has wronged me. 
As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice. That's how Job feels as he's going through this season of testing. For a long time, I could never make a statement like that. I would be uncomfortable just reading statements like that. I'd rather insult the way a newborn baby looked to a new mom than say that to a holy God, which that's like poking a bear in a slapdown. But I wouldn't dare say that to God, even if it's how I felt or how I feel. But it's because I'm a perfectionist. And I want God to say, here's one who never doubted, pouted, or shook a fist and shouted. I know that whatever I say to God is going to be proved wrong eventually. I feel like my son when he says, I don't like arguing with you because you never let me win. To which I said, if you would have good arguments, I'd let you win. (laughs) You see, the value in lamenting is not in being right, but in getting right. I'm going to say that again. The value of lamenting is not in being right, but in getting right. There's no point saying all the right things if you have the wrong heart. No point saying, God, you're amazing, when your heart is saying, I hate this right now. (laughs) Because God knows your heart. God is not fooled. Lamenting is not only how we reveal our heart, it's how we heal our heart. It's not only how you reveal your heart, it's how you heal your heart. Job will make anchor statements like Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. So even though he's raw and unedited and he's, and he's totally transparent about how he feels, he keeps putting these anchors down. He's like, you know what, even though I feel that way, God, even if you slay me, I'm going to hope in you. Job 19, 25. I know that my Redeemer lives, that in the end he will stand on the earth. He still sees God as his redeemer, his rescuer. A part of Job's suffering is that he knows that God performs miracles, that God is powerful. With one word, Job's situation could be turned around, but he seems to be left in the waiting room. It's like he's at a taping of Oprah's greatest things, and she's like, you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car, but not you, Job, because you pronounced my name Okra once, so you don't get a car. Job chapter 9, verse 10 through 11 says, and this is Job speaking, he says, God performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes me, though, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. See, Job believes in God, but he doesn't know if God believes in him. He watches everyone else get blessed, but feels like he's just passed by, and it creates hope and hurt. Hope because if God did it for them, he could do it for me. Hurt because if God did it for them, why didn't he do it for me? Have you ever been there? Why not me, God? Or why me, God? Why isn't Job's three friends suffering and said, we all know they deserve it. They deserve a heavenly smackdown. I came back from shopping with my youngest. He's four. He walks in with a cake pop because that's how you tame the beast of a four-year-old. And my middle son says, why did Colton get a treat and I didn't? To which I said, because I love him more, duh. His eyes bulge out like a cartoon character, and I'm like, I'm just kidding, mostly. But that's how it feels. It feels like God loves everyone else more than us when we don't get the miracle, when we don't get 
the favor, in quotes. You see, while geographically everyone in Kenosha right now is getting the same weather, yucky, rainy, but spiritually, it's completely different. And, and, I, and I love this point. You can have all four seasons represented on a Sunday morning. All four spiritual seasons all going on in the same Sunday morning. One person's going through an Arctic winter while the person next to them is enjoying a Hawaiian summer. It's annoying. Have you ever been there? You know, you've come in, you're depressed, the whole world's against you, and the person next to you is high-fiving Jesus because they just got a, a, a check from their uncle that they never even knew. It's like, yeah, favor of the Lord. Like, I'm going to trip you on the way out of here in Jesus' name. <laughs> you know, one's experiencing sunshine and the other soggy downpour. One's experiencing the spring of new life while the other's entering into a death of fall. See, one of the worst things when you're experiencing winter spiritually is to go on social media. Don't go look at everyone else's summer. It will just create jealousy and frustration. But here's another point to keep in mind. Don't assume that everyone else is in the same spiritual season as you. Be sensitive to the weather patterns around you. Don't try to get everyone into summer. You can't force it. You gotta let the season play itself out. And don't assume your current season will last forever. No one gets a forever summer. No one gets a forever summer. But when you find yourself in winter, a season of testing, alter what you can, lay on the altar what you can't. Alter what you can, lay on the altar what you can't. See, there's light, things in life that you simply can't change. There's things you can tweak, but there's things that you cannot change. You can't change your family. How many of you would like to? Don't raise your hand. They're sitting around you. <laughs> you can't change your family, but you can change your last name and your address and your phone number. You can't change the fact that you're lactose intolerant, but you can eat ice cream anyways and then keep your dad up all night complaining about your stomach hurting even though you had said, I'm not allergic to dairy or some other hypothetical scenario that I'm just exaggerating about, may or may not have happened, Connor. Job can't change his situation. Summer, winter. Job can't change his situation. He can't alleviate his pain with a morphine drip. He can't bring his kids back to life. But the thing he can control is his heart and his mouth. He can't change his situation, but he can control his heart and his mouth. Everything else has to be laid on the altar. We think of the altar as a place of letting go, but it's really a place of letting God. We think of the altar as a place of sacrifice, but it's really a place of upgrading. For what we lay on the altar becomes infinitely more valuable. What you lay on the altar becomes infinitely more valuable. It becomes a symbol of worship and trust. When Abraham laid his only son on the altar, he symbolically said to God, I trust you with my most prized possession. The very thing that you said that you were going to bless me through, I lay that down. There was no guarantee that God would give him his son back, but he believed to his core that even if Isaac was sacrificed, his dream died, God would raise the dead because God is not cruel. If he's asking for this sacrifice, it means that God has an upgrade in mind. When you drop your kids off at grandma and grandpa's, 
they always come back with more. A new toy, a new story, higher blood sugar. When God gives us back our sacrifice, it always comes back more. Isaac comes back not only as a son, but as the future nation of Israel, home of the Bible, home of Jesus, home of our salvation. Abraham also learns a new name for God, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You see, we call it a sacrifice because it costs, but the cost is nothing compared to the unimaginable price of not placing it in God's hands. To not lay it on the altar would be foolish and to rob yourself of God's best. As Job's life is laid on the altar, it's handed back to him richer. He says, I had heard of you before, but now I know you. Now I've seen you. He goes from the most important man in the East to impacting billions of lives with this story of perseverance and hope to people in the East, West, North, and South. He had no idea that, he, what, that we would be inspired by his story thousands of years later this morning. Who might you inspire if you lay your life down? Alter what you can. Lay on the altar what you can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that even though we live in a world of pain and hurt, challenge and frustration, God, that we can always lean into you and know that you will be our strength, you will be our hope, you will be our peace. And God, we lay on the altar and we say, Father, we are yours in your name. Amen.